Good morning, Mercy Hill. God, I thank you so much for this morning, for this day, a day that you have made, and you allowed us to be gathered here together in your name. Uh, God, I pray that you would be with us this morning. Open our hearts as we hear your word, and allow it, Lord, to work in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please sit down. Good morning once again. My name is Jonas. For those of you who might be here for the first time, I'm an intern here at Mercy Hill, and I'll be sharing the Word of God with you. And um, it's a privilege to be here standing before you um, and before God to share His Word. Um, this morning, I'll be sharing the Word of God in the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. If you guys are following the Bible reading plan, this week we've been reading 1 Kings 17. Um, so go ahead and open your Bibles if you have them. 1 Kings 17. And before I start, I'm going to go ahead and pray once again. God, you are Lord above all and you're sovereign over everything. And we thank you, God, this morning that you have allowed us to just hear your word and just the freedom that you give us, Lord, to just sit and hear from you. I just want to thank you for that because we know, God, that there are people who don't have this freedom. And it's a blessing for us this morning. So we just want to thank you. And I pray that whatever I say this morning, God, it would come from you and that your name will be glorified. And in your name I pray. Amen. The passage I'll be talking about this morning is about Elijah, as you've been following this week. Um, and I'll be approaching this, this sermon in three different perspectives. Namely, God's perspective, Elijah's perspective, and the widow's perspective. And I must admit that I struggle a little bit to come up with a structure for this sermon because there is just so much to talk about. There is so much. And I believe that the Lord will be talking to your heart this morning um, through this passage. Now, you all might know that Israel is, is a chosen nation of God and they've been led by God throughout the centuries, and they've been led by men, chosen by God himself, um, to work in their hearts and to glorify his name. At some point in history, the people of Israel were taken as captives in Egypt, and they were there for so many years as slaves. And through God's mighty hand, he chose his... Uh, his servant Moses, to take him out of captivity back to their land in Canaan. And in those years, God gave him commands. And one of the commands he gave them was for them not to forget about him, to not worship any other God apart from him. The years passed, and the people forgot about God. And they asked 
to be given kings to rule over them. And God granted them kings. Some of them were bad, others not so bad. And at this point in time, in this passage that we've been reading this, this week, the nation of Israel has been divided because of the wickedness of, all, all, of those kings. It's been divided into two kingdoms. The, nor- the northern part is Israel, and the southern is Judah. And so it's right at this moment when this story is taking place. So in the kingdom, in the, part, in the northern part, the king was Ahab. And Ahab it says here that Ahab was evil. And for us to really understand the evil that he did, it's important for us to go a little bit back to chapter, uh, chapter 16 and see exactly what he did that was evil. So I'll invite you to go to open chapter 16 of 1 Kings, verses uh, 30 through 33. And I'm going to go ahead and read. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And as if, he had been a, if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebad, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all kings of Israel who were before him. And so this is, this is a little bit of the context of what's this, how this story is happening, the time frame when this story is happening. So we're told here in this passage that I just read that Ahab, the king of Israel, took Jezebel as his wife. And Jezebel was not an Israelite woman. She was a woman from another nation. She was a Gentile. And he took her as a wife. And now, as I said before, God of Israel is the God Almighty. Now, when the king takes Jezebel as his wife, he consents to her gods. He worships gods from, from, the, from that nation where that woman comes from, other than the God Almighty. And so he has forgotten about God. And him, as a king, he leads the people of Israel to worshiping the same God too. And it says here in, chapter, in verse 32, he erected an altar for Baal in Samaria. So he's serving Baal, the God of the Gentiles, other than the God Almighty, the God of Israel. And he built an altar in Samaria for the worship of Baal. This has to be pretty um, interesting because this man is chosen to be the king of God's people. And instead of worshiping God... God of Israel, 
He turns his back on God, and he starts to worship Baal. And he leads the people of Israel also to do the same thing. So we can see that there is a mess here. Because of the kings that have been given to Israel, the nation is now divided. The north has one king, the south has a different king, and the north has chosen, instead of worshiping the Lord, they're worshiping Baal. It's just a mess in Israel. They have forgotten that that God, that God the God of Israel, who took them from Egypt back to Canaan in their land, he demands them to worship him. They have forgotten this, and they turned their back on him. How does this make God feel? He feels hurt. Because he loves these people. These people are his, and he has told them not to worship any other God other than him. But now they have turned their back on him. He feels hurt, and he feels angry. Now, let's go back to uh, chapter 17, verse 1. It says here in verse 1, Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe, in Gilead, said to, in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before, before whom I stand, there shall be no, neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. And so we see that because of God feeling hurt, because he feels angry, because he's been abandoned, abandoned by his own people, he, he chooses somebody, he chooses a man after his own heart, Elijah, to go and talk to the king so that he can, God can bring judgment over the, the land of Israel. God is angry and he talks to Elijah to go and talk to, talk to the king. And one side note here. This Baal, this God that these people are worshipping, is believed to be the God of fertility. And so the practice of agriculture, the farming in that country, depends, is believed to depend on him because he makes, he makes it rain on the land so that the crops can grow. That's the belief. And so they worship him and they ask him for rain so that they can grow their crops. And God attacks exactly that part of their lives. He brings Elijah and he tells King Ahab that there's not going to be rain because the rain is what makes the crop grow, right? And now, there's not going to be rain. And it's exactly this God that they believe that brings rain to the earth. It's this God that they're worshiping. What does God want from this? He wants to make them understand that their worship is misplaced. They want them, they want them to understand that this God that they're worshiping is not really what they think he is. He wants them to turn back to God and worship him. He wants to let them know that he has authority even over this God that they're worshiping. 
He takes away the very same thing that they worship. Many times this, many times this happens in our lives. We put our trust in something, and all of a sudden, that thing is taken away. And I tell you what, God does this for a purpose, because he wants you to worship him. He is God, the Almighty. All the glory should go to him, and he wants you to turn back to him. So he feels hard when we have a misplaced worship. Many of you probably know that I was separated from my family for some time. I was in Mozambique uh, doing documentations for me to come to the States and join them. And during that time, um, I spoke to my family using uh, the technology that we have available today. I spoke to my daughter and um, we made video calls and audio calls. Um, I remember that when I came, when I, when I was finally allowed to come into the country and I flew here into the States and I saw my daughter for the first time, she, she didn't recognize me. She didn't know who I was and she, she pretty much rejected me. When I wanted to hold her, she wanted mommy. Um, and that took time. It took a long time. And I got to the point where I felt like I was a failure as a father for not being there, you know, taking care of them. And I remember once on the way back from work, I kept thinking about this. And it was really hurtful to me to see my daughter turning her back on me the way she was doing. She, she didn't want me to hold her or, you know, to talk to me or anything like that because I was just an unknown person. But then this day, as I was coming back from work, I was just thinking through it, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me about something way deeper than anything that I was thinking about, and this is what it is. This, is, this relationship is a, is a picture of the relationship that you have with the Father in heaven. Every time you turn your back on God, God feels hurt. That comes in my mind, and it just blew my mind. And at that moment, I know, and I knew that God was teaching me something throughout that whole situation. And I know that many times things like this happen, tough things happen in our lives, because God wants us to understand something. He wants, a, he wants to teach us something. And he taught me this throughout that time. And now, my daughter can't wait for me to come back from work. She stands at the, at the window and she looks out. When she sees me coming, she shouts to her mom, Daddy's coming. And she runs and gives me a hug. And you can't imagine how joyful I am when I see that happen. And that's exactly what happens when you go to God. When you turn back to God and you worship and you talk to him as your father. You let him embrace you. That's how joyful he feels. Because he's your God and he expects you, he wants you to worship him and him alone. 
But at this moment in time, the people of God has tur have turned their backs on God. Starting from the king himself, going all the way down to the lowest person in the community, they have turned their backs on God. So, let's look at this passage now in Elijah's perspective. Because in God's perspective, he's been abandoned and he wants to bring this judgment to, the, to his people to make him understand that what they're worshiping is false. Now, if we go to Elijah's perspective, we will see that God has power and authority over his creation. And when we read the prophets of the Old Testament, we see that we learn a little bit of, the, of their background information. They tell us the name, they tell us the family lineage they come from, and all other information. But for Elijah, we don't have that much information about him. It seems like he comes out of nowhere. They're, we're only told that he's a Tishbite from Tishbe. And that's it. And so he comes, he comes in the scene, and God commands him to go and give inf this information to, to the king, that there will be no dew, no rain. And the name Elijah means God, my God is Yahweh. And if you look at this, you can kind of understand his mission in this story, which is to announce God's glory over his nation. He wants to display God's glory over Israel, over Baal, over everything, the whole creation. So that's kind of his mission here in this story. And at this point in time, it seems like Baal has, has won, right? Because everybody is worshiping Baal. It seems like he has won. But in the midst of that, we see God using someone to come and turn things around. So in chapter 17, verses 2 through 4, we read, And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook. I, I have commanded the ravens to feed, feed you there. Now ravens for the Jews are unholy animals. But at the same time, we see God using them to take care of his, of his loved one, of his man. What does this teach us? It teaches us that God can use anything and anybody for his purposes. Because he has power and he has authority over all his creation, including you and I and everything else on earth. He has authority and power. And so he uses unholy birds to bring meat and to bring bread. Can you imagine that? Can you think about that? Ravens bringing meat and bringing bread in the morning and bringing meat and bread in the evening for this man. How would you have felt 
just hearing, the, hearing God say, I have commanded these animals, I've commanded these birds to feed you, probably I would have doubted. These birds to bring meat and bread for me? I might have doubted. But Elijah trusted in the Lord. He knew that the Lord was sovereign over everything and that he was going to do what he wanted to do. He trusted in the Lord. And the Lord really did what he wanted to do in his life. We see ravens elsewhere during the, the flood, during, uh, during Noah's time. Um, God commanded Noah to send out a raven to, to see if the water was, was, has, had subsided outside. And so we see here that it's not the first time that God is using ravens here. He has used them before, and he's using them again here in this, in this, in this portion of Scripture. So God does have authority over all the animals possible. Now in verse 8 through 9 we read, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So we see a pattern here. At first, God commands ravens to feed Elijah. And now he says it again. I have commanded the widow to feed you. How many times do we feel led to help in someone? And we help them. And we, say, uh, we take them out of a very serious situation that they're in because of the very same thing that we did sometimes even unknowingly. This is a very, it's, it's, a, it's a pattern that happens in this, in this portion of Scripture to show us that God can use anything and anybody. At first he used the, raven, the ravens, and now he's using a human being, this lady, this widow, to feed his servant. The woman did not realize that he had been commanded, I believe. She didn't realize that he had been commanded by God to feed this man. But she did it. She believed in what he did, the instructions that he gave her, the request that he made to her, and she fed him. And because of her faith, a miracle happened. Sometimes this happens in our lives. We don't even realize that we, we, we're going to help somebody, but we end up doing something that's helpful for that person. And I have an illustration for that. Uh, back in Mozambique, we organized property. There is a, there is a well that was drilled uh, probably in 2012 or 2013. Um, that well is helping people in the community. They come and drill, uh, they draw water from the well, uh, you know, for, for their consumption. Now, it's been there since 2012, and it's still working. Now, last year, I received information that the well was not working anymore. And I asked my brother to go over and check on it, and he told me that the pump 
was broken. He was burned. Now, you can imagine 2012 until 2021. It was pretty good pump, right? <laughs> it worked all these years. But now, this year, it broke down. Um, I shared that with the small church here and asked for prayer. And what happened is the small church decided to make a little contribution. Each person um, contributed and we got money and I sent it to Mozambique and they bought a new pump and they replaced the old one. You cannot even imagine how much of a blessing that is. To this day, people are hauling water because of that pump, because of that contribution that you made for that well. People are hauling water. There is a shortage of water in the city, but at least in that community, people, are, people have water because of that. So here we have believers moved by the Holy Spirit to contribute, and here, this, here is this contribution working in mighty ways to the people that are really needy in that community. And I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for that. It's, it really worked. People are having the water now. So things like this happen in our lives. And the woman here was commanded by God for her to feed the servant of God. In Luke chapter 4, verse 25 through 26, we read like this. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah where, uh, when, the rave, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to the woman who was a widow. Within Israel, there were many other widows, but the Lord chose this woman that was even a, a foreigner. So God sends his servant to a foreign nation to be fed there. And that shows us that God is really concerned about who we worship because the people of Israel, they're worshiping Baal. And so God, in his power, he sends his, his servant out of the nation to be fed there. And miracles happen during this time. And unlike, unlike Elijah, I probably would have doubted that was the right person that God has, had commanded. Because when Elijah gets there, look what, what, what happened. She tells him, when he, when he says to her, make me bread, what does she say? She says, I only have a little bit of food that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make and eat with my son and then we'll die. And you can see right here that this lady is poor. She is poor. She almost has nothing. If it were me, I would probably see a red flag there. Lord, do you, are you really sure that this is the woman that you said she was going to feed me? But he had faith in the Lord, and he really went to her. And, and Elijah knew that God was going to work something in that family. 
He was going to do something, and he was going to provide for their needs. He did not doubt it. And after some time, the widow's son dies. And this is after provision is there, they have food and everything, there is probably no struggle at all. And all of a sudden, her son falls sick and he dies. How does Elijah feel? Because when this happens, she comes. She comes to Elijah, she's like, hey, did you come here to show me my sin? You came here and my son dies. And she calls me man of God. You came here to show me my sin, to bring my, uh, my sin into remembrance. She is hurt. And I believe Elijah, he might be feeling guilty at this moment because his presence probably has caused that. But God has a purpose to attain in that situation. He has a purpose. And what I want to point out here is the fact that just because you worship God, just because you serve God, do not expect things to go always well. Things are going to turn out bad. Things are going to stink sometimes. But in the midst of that, your attitude is, is supposed to be an attitude of patience, of endurance, and serving your God. In fact, in 2 Timothy 2, chapter 12, we read, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. When moments like this happen in your life, you're called to persevere, stay in the Word, and seek God, because there is something that God wants to teach you. You're called to persevere in these moments and to stay firm in what you have believed, which is Jesus Christ. So believe in Him. And in Romans 5, 3 through 5, says, We rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So if you're here this morning and you're going through a tough time, this message is for you. Even if you think there is nothing happening in your life that is alarming or that is, is not desirable, this message is for you too. Because when that happens, then you're called to endure, to stay in the faith, and to worship the Lord. God has power and authority over his creation. And you are his creation too. He has sovereignty. He has power over you. 
Now, let's look at the passage in the widow's perspective. In verse 9 through 12, we read like this. As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And, I, and now I'm, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go, go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And so we can clearly see this is a very desperate situation here. This lady, she has no hope. Probably because of love for her son, she's freaking out that her, her, her son might die because the only food she has, she's going to make it and eat it and probably die. And she says this to Elijah. So little food and no hope for survival. And out of love, she's concerned about her life and about her son's life. And every time I read stories like this that show desperation, somebody being desperate for something, it reminds me of things that have happened back in the day when I was young. There was a time when I moved to, from one city to another, um, I was new, and I just... I had just gotten a job there, and I got my first paycheck, but then since I was, I was new there, I had to buy this and buy that, dishes and pots and all that, and my paycheck was gone. And at some point, I ran out of water, and there was a shortage of water in the city. Didn't know what to do. I, came, I was coming back from work and I was thoughtful, where, how am I going to get water to drink or to cook with? It was a desperate situation. It wasn't only me, by the way. Everybody in the neighborhood was experiencing that. It was, it was terrible. And a miracle happened. And, and I'm saying this. It was a miracle. We cannot explain this in any other way. While I was walking back home, it starts to rain. It starts to rain. It was a summer hot day. There was no sign in, in the sky that there, was no, that there was any cloud. There was no cloud as a sign that it was going to rain on that day. But somehow, it starts to rain as I was going back home. I ran back home and I grabbed my buckets and I lined them up underneath the roof Thankfully, I had a metal roof. So I lined them up, and I collected as much water as I could, as much water as I could. And so I filled up you know, all the five buckets, and I piled them up in the house. The Lord made a miracle. And there is no way I can describe that. Because normally it doesn't rain in Mozambique during that time. It doesn't. But it rained. So every time I see a situation like this, God providing supernaturally to somebody, it takes, my mind takes me back to, the, to those moments. And it's encouraging for me to know that the Lord is there for me. He can provide. So the man showed up. There was a food in abundance. And then... In verse 18, it says, And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause 
the death of my son. And this is, this is how she reacts. This is how this woman reacts when her son dies. And one thing that I'd like to point out here, she says, what have you, all men of God? It means what? That she believes that he's a man of God, right? And later on, in verse 24, she says, And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. This happened after Elijah prayed for her son, and he got resurrected. And she says, Now I know that you are a man of God. Previously, she knew that he was a man of God. But when that tragedy happened, she was like, what have you, O men of God? And later on, when, when son comes back to life, she says again, now I know you are a man of God. What does that tell us? Do you, do you ever have those moments when you believe in God and at the same time you kind of don't believe him completely? I believe that's, happen that's what is happening right now. She believes that he's a man of God at first, but she's not quite sure that he's a man of God. And now, because her son is resurrected, she actually believes that he's a man of God. The Lord God wants you to believe him with, his, with your own heart, with your whole heart. He wants you to believe that he's God and he's sovereign over everything, including your life. So, the woman believed in him throughout all this situation. Now, when we see this, this story, what do we learn from it? The first thing is, God is sovereign. He can use desperate situations to provide for his people and to teach his people. We can learn also from Elijah that because of his obedience, he saw miracles happen. First, he saw birds coming to feed him. And he sees this poor woman who didn't have much also providing for him through God. And now we see God answering his, his prayer for, for this boy that was dead. God is sovereign. God is sovereign, Mercy Hill. I'll invite the worship team to come up. Do you have such a faith as Elijah, believing that in the midst of difficult circumstances, God was going to work in his life? Do you believe in God this much? Or do you doubt God? This boy was resurrected, and I believe that at some point in his life, he died again. He did die again. But we have somebody who was resurrected and is still alive, and that is Jesus. He's still alive today, and he is in your heart. And when that day comes, when he will come from his church, and you will be resurrected with him, if you believe in him. I invite you this morning to believe in the Lord Jesus, 
if you have not really trusted in the Lord, if you do not really, truly trust in the Lord, I invite you to trust Him. And, I, and you should know that He knows your heart. He knows your heart. And if you trust Him, He'll work in your life. He is the better Elijah. Elijah prayed to God and miracles happened. And Jesus himself can perform miracles. And if you have him in your heart, the very first miracle that he's going to perform in your heart is to make it that you, you are more and more like him in your life. He'll conform you to himself. And as you serve him, other things will be happening in your life. And you'll recognize that he's God and he's sovereign over everything. Lord God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you're sovereign and you have power and authority over our lives, over all of your creation. Thank you, God, for your message this morning. I just want to pray, God, this morning that you'll be with us. God, help us to trust you completely, just like Elijah and that woman finally trusted in you, and she knew that you are God and that he was a man of God. Help us, Lord, to realize this in our hearts and to trust that you are sovereign over our lives, Lord. Thank you so much. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your sovereignty. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.